Welcome back, witches and other cottage folk. It is the merry middle of October, and the leaves are golden and russet, lemony yellow, bright green, and scarlet red. Turtles and moles are burrowing underground, fish are diving deep into their ponds and lakes, and people are gathering firewood and pulling out last year's unfinished knitting and crochet project that the house gnomes hid months ago. The last tomatoes are redding up quite nicely, and the elderberries and apples are now jellies and cobblers. Spooky costumes and decorations are under construction, and pumpkin-spiced everything is on the menu. We have high full moon energy, the blood moon, which means we'll have a sweet first crescent moon for Samhain itself. We'll sip some apple and cinnamon tea while I sort and ball up some tangled ends of yarn and hunt up my embroidery hoops. It won't be long before we'll need a fire to keep us warm, but until then, let's keep the doors and windows open so our voices carry throughout the whole cottage as you sit on the front porch and chat for a spell with me, Hester Makepeace, the Cottage Witch. Let's look into the swirling mists of long-ago witches and shaman, druids, and the seers and seekers of the earliest clans, staring into starry night skies, or watching churning clouds and falling leaves and limbs, or staring out over turning waves. Portents and omens exist all around. Much meaning can be divined in the fall of a feather, the tumble of seashells, or the tossing of bones and the hand and palm of the clan's matriarch hold hints of both the recent past and the far future. The signs have always been about for those who know how to read them, and those same signs still remain today. Many, many divinatory practices are waiting to be explored by you, my cottage folk. Open your eyes to them as you walk about your own home or neighborhood, and even when you drive through the countryside. In the garden, you might spy entwined plant, new, unexpected sprouts, or vines dying before their time. Those could each mean something. Are the crickets or locusts calling today? And which leaves or feathers have fallen into your path? What color are they? Is an animal or two waiting for you? And which birds fly or land overhead? What message is in the sunrise or sunset? And which phase is the moon playing in this night? Do the clouds and their movements reveal some weathermancy for your eyes alone or for the whole neighborhood? How does the sand lie along the ocean's edge tonight? Come back to the porch or kitchen and practice a bit of sortition, astragalomancy or claromancy, casting lot, shells, Norse runes, the Celtic agam, or a myriad of dice to discern the future and see more clearly into the present and past. You can even look more clearly into those signs you've already spotted. Perhaps cast your crystals across a map or the floor plan of your house for a bit of geomancy. On the other hand, some scrying might help. There are impressions to be spotted and visions to be seen in a fire's glowing coals or smoke and in a silver bowl of still water too. Large crystals, smooth, shiny stones, an obsidian one, for an example, or a black mirror or a ball of green glass. Any one of these, or so many others, 
are worthy of peeping into. The scrying medium merely focuses your attention so the vision can come to you. Read tea leaves or grains of corn. Observe the heavens. Shoot an arrow skyward and then closely observe its fall back to earth. Consult the statue of a lion that is in your garden because just maybe it's an oracle. Or that seemingly anonymous Greek bust. What spirit resides in that statue anyway? Then, tonight, dream your dreams. You are, or certainly can be, the shaman of your own life. But for today, we're going to take a walk through my two or three acres of yard and see what we find here in the Ozarks in early fall. And I'm going to encourage you to do the same in your own yard or neighborhood or nearby park. As we go, in the briefest of terms, I want you to think of everything to you or your life or your community, basically to you or to anything that touches you. They could all be interconnected. Divine the omens and signs that you see in front of you. For example, remember those plants I talked about? If you see a flourishing, proud plant standing tall and alone in oh, maybe a sidewalk crack, that could be a symbol of you, your own thriving independence, your determination to make it on your own. Or it could mean that you're going to be on your own soon and it's going to be okay. If you see two flowers or weeds, any kind of plants sort of entwined, hanging tightly together, wrapped around each other, maybe that's you and a partner. Maybe that's you and a parent or a child. You're enmeshed too tightly with someone or something and you'd be healthier if you were growing more on your own side by side maybe, but not so tightly entwined. Do you see a dying plant? That's not necessarily death. It could be, but it's probably change of some sort. As a plant dies, that's usually when it's dropping its leaves and seeds and nuts. It's repopulating even as part of it dies or as it goes into winter mode. So maybe you're going through a change too. Maybe you're going into winter mode, but you'll be repopulating yourself, changing yourself, growing, growing something new. What's on the horizon for you? What's going to go underground for a while and winterize and maybe come back in the spring as something new and different and exciting? Did you hear crickets as you're walking? They are always a sign of good luck or luck is on the way. A cricket in your house is probably the luckiest sign of all. Do you actively hear the cicadas? Because they are representative of personal change, but not like the butterfly is also a symbol of change, which it is, but a butterfly's change is slow. It's a metamorphosis. They go into the chrysalis and they wait over time. The cicada is about immediate change. One day you're one thing and the next day you are something else. That can be really difficult. It can totally rock your world. But cicadas especially are about becoming something new in a crafting or artistic way. Finding your inner voice because they literally sing when they move into the second stage of their life. They grow wings and they sing 
So they also represent musicians and singers and you singing your own song. So when you hear the cicadas, quite likely you are beginning to sing about who you really are. You are metaphorically making your own music and maybe you are even in the midst of some rapid changes. Some of nature's best divinatory surprises are those we see and often ignore every day. For today, we're going to focus on just three plants and three animals that we likely see even as we walk from the house to the car, but that we could get much more intentional about by taking brief walks around the neighborhood. Then you can apply these same ideas from these first few plants and animals to those that you find as you walk or drive further afield. By the way, walking is an especially good way to meditate and incorporate nature's signs and omens into your wandering thoughts and daydreams. But pay attention to your surroundings. You're likely pretty safe in your own backyard, but elsewhere, be aware. I'll begin with just a few quick warnings, just in case you're walking outside your own domain. In big fields, parks, woodlands, or on river paths, wear socks and good closed-toed shoes. Protect your feet. Boots are an even better idea when going further afield, as is popping a whistle, a good hiking whistle in your pocket or hanging it around your neck, and also, of course, have your cell phone with you in your pocket somewhere secured. If you're lost or hurt, summon help. A wilderness whistle will carry twice as far as your voice and likely even further. It gets attention. Also, let someone else know where you're going and when you expect to return before you even leave the house. Even if it's just a walk around a few blocks, let someone know you're out there. If on a roadside walk, stay 10 feet or more into the grass or up on the sidewalk, away from the shoulder. Cars can skid or veer off at any time. Walk facing oncoming traffic. You'll not only be more aware of what's coming towards you, but you'll be further away from what's coming up from behind. Additionally, avoid plants that are close to the road as they are awash in the pollution of car exhaust. Don't invite pollution into your house or your body. Even as you are looking down, scouring the grass or the forest floor, keep your head up sometimes too. Or cars or people or animals who make you nervous for any reason. If something makes you nervous, it's probably an instinctual thing. Pay attention. Also, if you are foraging for plants or rocks, or anything that the earth is providing while you are divining insights into yourself and your future, how are you going to hang on to your treasures? Think about what you need to take along with, because the earth really will provide. I take along a cloth or mesh string-necked bag or a basket. T-shirt material can be easily repurposed for this exact use. We're trying to avoid mold here, by the way, so cloth will absorb the wetness and the mesh or baskets will allow air drying. So either one kind of gets to the same end by a different means. 
What I choose sort of depends on what I'm gathering, but often I start out gathering one thing and wind up gathering several others. So the cloth bag, the mesh bag, or the basket will all usually work well for whatever you wind up finding along the way. I also take along a pair of garden shears or kitchen shears, scissors. That's really the only tools I need. Something to carry it in and something to clip some leaves or flowers. And I never take whole thick branches. I leave half or more behind of any single plant so that it can replenish. I also never take more than I can process in two days time. Freshly cut herbs and plants don't last very long. I also forage kindling, by the way, that starter firewood, and I use a leather log carrier. It's much bigger and much thicker, or I'll use a five gallon bucket too. But I only pick deadfall or storm tossed branches. 18 inches or so is my limit. I don't want to really go over that because it's got to fit into our wood burning stove. I begin this chore on cool September days and continue all through the fall and on sunny winter days too, often while I'm walking the dog. But now that we've got baby butterscotch, her energy would make that chore very difficult. Percy, on the other hand, is a pretty great companion for foraging. He's got patience. The best time of day, by the way, for gathering most herbs and plants is in late morning after the dew has dried. And leafy plants are often best in spring and sometimes fall too. But small foliage in July and August, not so good. Whether you include the stems and leaves of the plants and the flowers is up to you. That's often where most of the nutrients hang out and that's sometimes the best part of the plant. Whatever you decide on stems and leaves and flowers, make sure that you pick happy, healthy plants. Avoid wilted, brown, or mildewed leaves. So what three plants are in pretty much everyone's yard or somewhere in their neighborhood dandelion chicory and red clover in the u.s and europe for sure you'll see these plants on every walk from spring till fall i'd wager most of you know the dandelion and probably the red clover too on site but you're thinking chicory mm, not so much trust me you've seen these pale but bright blue thin petaled chicory flowers because they're all over. They're commonly called corn flowers too. And also the roadside weed. Yet people pick them for wildflower bouquets all the time. They grow in abundance in both rural and urban areas along paved and graveled roads and in fence rows, in sidewalk cracked, out in open fields and yards. They are blooming in both spring and fall. The blooms only disappear in the heat of the summer. You really probably do know chicory. And if you drink coffee, odds are you've consumed chicory. It's the same plant. And then red clover literally is red or white flowers that grow out of the bunches of ground covering clover that's all over everybody's yard. A lot of these common plants are the ones that your father tried to eradicate from the yard, and yet they come back again and again and again. First, let's talk about dandelions, those bright orangish yellow clusters of flowers down in the grass with broad kind of spiky leaves. 
Their delightful puff balls of seeds are loved by children who close their eyes and blow on those puff balls, making their best and bravest wishes as the seeds scatter on the winds. Those are dandelions too. Dandelion tea can be made from its leaves and or its roots. It's a nice aid for digestion and indigestion, but many witches, including the author Scott Cunningham, believe this tea provides a special boost to divination, yay, and also prophetic dreaming. But if you just come upon them while on a walk and have no kitchen witchery designs upon it, just know that it's highly associated with growth and hardiness and strength and abundance. Oh, and also dreaming and wishing. Think about how common it is to see one plant in your yard today and then mm, eight more tomorrow. And by week's end, you have a zillion of them. That just signals strength and abundance and growth and hardiness. And then come back two weeks later, pick a puff and blow your best wishes into the universe too. That's where your wishing and dreaming come into play. Next is red and white clover. These are the flowers that grow from those patches of three-leaf clovers, where as a kid, you would search for hours for the four-leaf clovers for extra special luck. Long ago, Druids and Celts believed even three-leaf clovers, their shamrocks, gave them protection from evil spirits and warded off bad luck. And clover still has those magical associations today, along with being associated with prosperity. Bees commonly make their honey, which is strongly linked to golden prosperity, from both lucky clover and golden nectar. While red clover and three and four leaf clover leaves are most closely associated with springtime fairies, they are equally abundant in the fall. Just imagine your fairies instead cloaked in the reds and golds and acorn caps of autumn. It's still one of the luckiest plants of all. Tuck a three or four leaf clover into your shoe for ease traveler's luck and put some in your coin purse or wallet to increase your cash. Kids have a great time making clover rings and bracelets, necklaces and crowns. Just mix the leaves and flowers by tying together their leaves and or stems. White clover flowers specialize in repelling negative energy and entities, while red clover attracts the positive ones, like wealth and love. Both are great for making ritual bath additives. Red clover is most often used to attract both lust and love. If you discover clover flowers in your path as you walk, look for love new love, or a revitalization of your familiar and comfy love life. A sexy new zing should be coming your way. Those red or pink flowers definitely represent a faithful love, especially when lovers are apart. However, the whole plant is about being lucky in love and finances. So keep an eye out for those red or pink or white flowers growing in a field of lucky three and four-leaf shamrock. And finally, chicory. Its leaves usually have a bitter taste, but people do add them to salads. In fact, chicory leaves can be used as a substitute for spinach in every way, raw and also cooked. 
It's high in vitamin C and super high in inulin, a starchy substance eaten for weight loss and constipation and reduced cholesterol and triglycerides. And it's really healthy for diabetics. It's also a natural sedative, easing anxiety and nerves, and it's an anti-inflammatory, relieving headaches, pain, and arthritis, reducing fevers, easing painful periods, and easing long-term pain. Those are all amazing and useful medicinal effects, but chicory is probably best known as a coffee substitute by roasting, grinding, and then brewing its roots. It's been used for thousands of years since it was grown along the banks of the Nile in ancient Egypt. This commonly ignored plant has been documented as being useful for millennia, but especially since the 1700s in Europe when Prussians used it because the importing of coffee was banned in their lands. In the American Civil War, soldiers used it when coffee was hard to come by, and it is still drunk in the South, especially New Orleans. And then again, during World War II, in both the U.S. and the U.K., it was used as a coffee substitute. In fact, my mother vividly remembered drinking chicory as a teenager in the 1940s and hating it. She said they had to make do with it, and they did. But it's still used today in the UK and popular in both places. And you can find chicory coffee on the shelves in Walmarts across the country. But my outdoor witches, you can also correspond chicory flowers with spells or workings around luck or receiving favors, strength and removing obstacles or opening lock or removing curses and also for divination and, well, maybe some invisibility. Hmm. And if you're just walking along, worrying about that big, angry obstacle in your life path, pick some of these happy blue flowers that are growing right around waist high and tuck them behind your ear. Then when you get home, drop them into a pretty glass or a vase of water, leaving them where you'll see them several times a day and replace them if they start to wilt. See if they open any symbolic lock or remove a metaphorical obstacle or two. Maybe include a few dandelions in that bouquet too for strength and prophecy and some red clover for love. Okay, that's plant life, both foraging and gathering for magical purposes, but also paying attention to just what we see on the path for divination purposes. Now let's talk about animals, the other most common thing we can spy in nature and interpret their presence as having some meaning perhaps in our lives. So we're going to take a quick look at 10 different animals and I've put them into three categories. The first three are very common. The second three are not uncommon and the final four, well, they are more rare but still findable in the wild and even in the suburbs of St. Louis where I have seen each of them myself. So let's talk about the first three. Number one is the cat. If you're out taking a walk and you see a cat cross your path, it is not bad luck. It is, however, a message of independence, probably about you. You need no validation from others. This cat is letting you know that you both may live with or amongst others 
but you are your own animal. You're instinctive, resourceful, and powerful. Cats will remind you that going one's own way is essential. You both live your truth or the cat's reminding you that you need to live your truth. And maybe that's not happening as much as it should. On the other hand, should a dog cross your path, he or she represents friendship and loyalty unless they do not. If they're terrifying, chained to a log, mistreated or made aggressive, then they represent that aggression or abuse. Maybe in your life, definitely in their life, maybe in your surroundings or situation. Is there a way to offer help without exposing yourself to danger? Help however you can, but safely. Most often, luckily, the dogs you meet will be true friends and true companions, and that's who they will represent in nature divinations as well. The third animal in this category is rabbits. They are fertility, love, and good fortune. Are you a caregiver? Your tenderness and sacrifice will be rewarded. Sort of like the rabbit, but on steroids, hummingbirds represent love and joy and magic. They are about sucking the nectar out of life. They fly in every direction, like our magic does, up, down, backwards, forwards, and they can also remain in place for quite a while. With hummingbirds, all things are possible, and that's what they mean. Next is the snake who really does not deserve its bad reputation. In fact, for divination purposes, because a snake sheds its skin, both reinventing and remaking itself, it represents change, transformation, rebirth, healing, starting anew, bravely wriggling free of your old skin to try on a new one. Also, it's accepting all aspects Snakes do not deserve their bad reputation. Next is the turtle, Mother Earth personified and moving slow. Slow down, she says, and enjoy every piece of the path you're on. And stay grounded, connected and strong, impenetrable and self-centered. It's these qualities that help turtle win life's most important races. You can use that energy too. The last animal in this category is the bat, which represents a multiple of images while you're flying blind. Also, it's a ritualistic death, flying into the cave and then rebirth. It literally hangs upside down in the birthing position. And its energy then is about once again being birthed to fly out of the cave and into the dark. Bats are actually the first of the four animals in the last category, which are the more rare animals to see. Along with bats, we have Coyote, the trickster. If you should see him, it probably means some trickery is afoot. But he could be a warning too, lest your own trickery fools yourself. Smart, clever, perhaps too smart or clever. Also, Coyote is a warning of others. Be wary of charming strangers and deals that are just too good to be true. What might someone be gaining from tricking you? Or is Coyote just bringing you a message from or about some situation that is inordinately smart or clever? You, a friend, 
a predicament? Coyote can do or be many things. Just be a little wary if he crosses your path. The owl is also in this category. Owl is always magic and omens, especially clairvoyance and astral projection, but also clear and wise communication. So is an animal with both highly magical associations and definite night or dark practices too. She can represent both healing shadow work, but also the potential for exploring darker paths. And our last animals are foxes. They represent nimbleness and resourcefulness. A fox can ingeniously solve any conundrum. And likely so can you if a fox crosses your path. Feel free to hide in the shadows a bit and keep watch. You are able to adapt to your surroundings and your situations. If you see a shy fox, it's definitely a reminder of this trait. And that's it for this episode. Consider enjoying this autumn by taking a nature walk or two and interpreting the signs you see along or beside your path. Reading the colors, plants, and animals just as you might read the turning of a tarot card. Keep your eyes open for literally whatever the universe has to offer you. And as always, find me, Hester Makepeace, on Facebook, at gmail.com and hopefully posting my first pictures on Instagram this week. Blessed be and happy autumn.